Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Few with me, Boo. Very excited by the opportunity to speak with today's guests. For those of you that have watched the show regularly, you know that I'm not necessarily the biggest advocate of uh, health and fitness personally. As much as I wish I could get to the gym all the time and be super fit and built like a beast, uh, I always have some pathological aversion to it. However, thanks to the podcast and listening to some amazing people, my journey there has, has become a much healthier and consistent one. Today's guest has conquered a beast in itself, the mighty sea cancer, uh, on her journey to really spread the health and fitness story as broadly as possible uh, as a thought leader in engaging today's modern day digital platforms to do that. She guarantees that you'll be able to add 10 years to your life by following her amazing programs. Let's make a welcome now. Welcome to the Few Podcast. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn what it takes to turn your dream into reality. Don't be afraid to dream big. But remember, dreams without goals are just dreams. This is The Few with Boo. Fitz, thanks so much for joining The Few podcast today. Love that neon. Of course. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, Boo. We're so far. We're so far away from each other. So far away, but not for long. You're joining us from Florida, a state that I will be resident in in about six weeks. In fact, I'll be resident when this goes to air. So, well, hello to everyone in Florida from Florida. It's exciting to have you on the show. I'd love to know one thing, really, uh, Fitz, it's why. Why this journey? Why not? You have an amazing degree in the health space. You could probably have any corporate job you wanted. Why would you go and choose the challenge of being an entrepreneur, working for yourself and toiling away as I know what life is like doing what you do? Why do you do it? Right. So the whys are pretty broad. You know, I started teaching fitness when I was 15 and I fell in love with it. I just fell in love with the act of teaching fitness and the connection I made with people. And then their response once I helped them, right? Once they put into action the things I was recommending, that was pretty powerful stuff. When I started working in television, the impact on me became tremendous. Why? Because I was able to impact so many others. Gosh, I remember I had a fitness show called uh, Cardio Jam and it was it was on television and strangers started to approach and say, are you fit? And I say, yeah. And they'd say, well, I love your show. I work out with you all the time and I've lost 17 pounds or my back no longer hurts. And just the concept of being able to help strangers that I never met before just was super powerful to me. And so I kept going. I turned my attention completely off of gym and fitness center and anything local. Not that that's not valuable work and not that I didn't enjoy doing it. I did, but my craving, my thirst is for the masses to help as many people as humanly possible. And I found a really effective way of doing that. My brand Fitness helps make fitness understandable, attainable, and fun. And I can talk to little kids and talk to people who have no education and then the most educated. And this is a, a really valuable mission for people for themselves, right? Because without health, you have nothing. And Boo, as you were mentioning, I had cancer and <laughs> I knew it before cancer. I didn't need the naughty lesson of cancer to remind me how powerful and important health yeah. was. But when someone looks you in the eye, no matter who you are and says, 
hey, buddy, you have cancer. All you want is health. You forget about your money. You forget about your boat and your fancy house and your fancy purse and whatever the heck you have. All you want is your health. So, you know, overall, people should not wait until someone looks them in the eye and says, you have some sort of terminal disease. Start focusing on your health today. So for you, you started at your journey with health at 15. I mean, that's the young age to start to teach yeah. people. I mean, that's the, in itself is very impressive mm -hmm. to have that sense of service at a young age rather than worry about just yourself and your own fitness to share that with people. What is it that gets in the way? What do you see that, that stops people investing in their health? Because ultimately, globally, there's obesity epidemics. We're actually starting to see the terminal age of humanity retract again for a while there. We're pushing out the age that we live to, something seems to have disconnected. Everyone knows we need to be healthy. And back when we were cavemen and women, that's what we did. We ran around and stayed healthy because we had to. But what's getting in the way at the moment? What do you think it is that's stopping people from looking after their health as a priority? Sure. So I'm not known for pulling my punches. So bear with me. But I think there's two. Punch away, please. <laughs> <laughs> so number one is pure laziness and lack of discipline. People know what they should be doing. I would say a good portion of society knows that they should exercise. They know which foods are good versus which foods are bad, but they're choosing to be lazy and make poor choices and they pay the consequences. So be it. I wish they wouldn't. But so that's number one. Number two is that my industry is full of snake oil salesmen and I can't pull the punches. I'm going to go ahead and say scumbags. I think it's one of the most nasty inhumane things in the world to sell lies to humans that just want nothing more than to be healthy and fit, maybe achieve their ideal weight. You know, the second someone with a fitness certification reaches out to you and says, oh, you should buy these pills. You want to lose weight? You should buy my powder. Instantly, they become thieves. They become the lowest of low. And fitness, or I should say weight loss, is a multi-billion dollar industry. And it shouldn't be. You know, if people are buying treadmills and jump ropes and exercise clothes. Great. I'm all in favor of that. But the lies in my industry are worth billions and there's too many soulless slugs willing to sell those things to you. So I make it my mission to combat those lies and to tell people the truth. And the science is pretty simple behind what I do and achieving fitness doesn't require a trip to a nutritional store or some personal trainer with a bunch of powder in his backpack. And that's the challenge, isn't it, really, in terms of trying to understand your fitness journey. I know for me, it's always, you know, as approaching 50 now, I think of all the different best practices that I've been taught over the decades of being fit all the way back to when I was athletic at school. And it feels like the wheel turns and, and what people would tell you, they were blue in the face was the only way you could do something. Turns out five years later to be a whole lot of garbage. So you, you mentioned something early on, which I think is a very powerful skill for the few, those people who, who live their best lives and can share. You mentioned about making fitness simple for people. So what does that look like? How do you tell this story in a way that is simple and allows people to find it compelling enough to take those first steps? Okay, so I'm going to break it down in the simplest way and then give you a few more details. So I always say I have a master's degree in the most simple, stupid science on earth. It's watch what you put in your mouth, move your body in a variety of ways often, and get quality sleep and remove the cranky people. I think that's really necessary. So when it comes to moving your body the extended science behind doing that is you should move your body in a variety of ways. Number one, in a way that taxes your cardiorespiratory system, a way that makes you huff and puff. That's running, swimming, biking, dancing, karate, whatever makes you huff and puff, works your heart and lungs, that's good. Then there's strength. Anything that makes you more capable to lift, press, push, 
pull against force makes you stronger and that's total body. So some people go in the gym and they just do biceps and they're like, I'm fit. No, you got to work all of your muscles. They all matter. So it's cardio, strength, flexibility. That's your body's ability to move in a wide uh, range of motion. Our shoulder, for example, this joint was made to go in about 360 degrees. Some people never lift their arms up above their shoulder. So mobility prevents sprains, strains, and tears. So it's really important that your hamstrings are flexible and your quadriceps and your neck and your low back and so forth and so on. So cardio, strength, flexibility. And the last pillar of fitness is balance. And the reason balance training is impossible is because nobody likes to fall down. Falling down is terrible, especially if you're a grown up. If you're a little kid who falls down, you might bounce and it'll be no big deal. But when you're a grown up and you fall down, you end up with some real trouble. So that's the science of fitness, cardio, flexibility, strength, and balance. Of course, we can go into more detail, but that's the gist. And you don't have to do every last one of those things every day. And you also shouldn't just do them once a year. You should do them, mix them into your workout on a consistent basis based on your goals. Now, when it comes to eating, I, I really, I don't like to pander to people. We know which foods are high quality foods. Most of them were grown from the ground and they are unprocessed. So processing is the act of altering food. It could just be chopping. So if you chop broccoli and that's the processing, fine. But if you take broccoli and then you dump it in canola oil and then you pour cheese on it, that's extra processing we don't want. So natural foods are ideal. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to cut out entire food groups unless they're for ethical reasons. What you do need to learn is how to eat the right amount of the right food for the size you want to be. I call it the exact formula for weight loss. It's as simple and stupid as take your goal weight, put a zero on the end. And this is if we're dealing in pounds. If you're dealing with stones, we, we get a little more complicated, but it's your goal weight. You put a zero on the end. That's your caloric budget. So if you want to weigh 150 pounds, maximum caloric intake each day should be 1500 calories. If you limit your caloric intake to that 1500 calories, your body will eventually shrink down to 150. So that's as simple as again, again, quality sleep and then remove the cranky people because toxic jerks aren't going to do anything good for you. And you'll, you're likely to avoid exercise. You mentioned it before, what I found interesting about balance was looking at, at the lens of how you build more cognitive capability. And there's this system apparently called the vestibular cerebellum system, which basically means people with really good balance or who test their balance consistently actually have greater problem solving skills because the center for both of them is in the same part of the brain. It's double the reason balance. You, you, not only do you not fall over, you get smarter as well. But food's interesting, isn't it? You look at the likes of Whole Foods and, and these stores now that are focused on organic food or real food. For the average person, it's pretty expensive to eat real food now, don't you think? You know, I, I'm not buying off on that either because there's tricks to getting around it. So in Florida, if you wanna have watermelon in December, you're gonna pay a lot for watermelon. But if you're gonna have watermelon when it's in season, it's one of the most affordable foods around. So it's just about being flexible and adjusting your tastes and the foods you're willing to consume. So always food in season or fruits and vegetables, produce in season is where you're gonna get your best bang for your buck. But also frozen produce is just as nutrition, nutritious as the fresh stuff and sometimes even more nutritious because it is flash frozen on site and it doesn't lose nutrition and in transit. So frozen foods can be really affordable. You can go to my grocery store and use a coupon two for one in the frozen section. You can't do that in the fresh fruit section or fresh produce. And then canned fruits and little plastic cups, they're not all bad. You just have to make sure you're getting 
the produce that hasn't been dumped in oil or sugary syrups, et cetera, et cetera. So you can definitely find affordable produce and go to your local farmer's market. That's probably an even better way to get affordable food and support the local farmers in your community. Yeah, I love that. The frozen, my kids, that is their vegetable go-to. You throw a bag of mixed veggies in the microwave, pull it out and out, whatever else is with on the plate, they'll just smash a whole serve of that every night. And I think that uh, it's such a simple, brilliant thing uh, to, to be able to do. And I think there's this, you know, human beings always feel like they need to be spoiled, I think. And like every meal needs to be amazing. Everything just needs to be extra, extra. To go back to exercise for a minute, I think one of the other challenges with exercise now is there's the fitness modeling industry now, right? And fitness has now become this hugely aspirational outcome but to get to some of that visual aesthetic for people and they go to the gym for a month or they start walking and it's like a very imperceptible change for them. How do you feel for people in terms of managing expectations and the ability to sort of not give up? And I guess the mindset is so many people in fitness are all about how you look rather than how it makes you feel. What are your thoughts on that? I think there's a maturity curve right there. So at a super young age, you're focused on, like right now, all the girls want super big butts. That's what they want. They all want super big butts and good for them if, you know, they were, they're willing to put in the time and effort, squatting and lunging and so forth. But I think as you mature, you want a body that feels good. You want a body that performs well. And then, of course, you want a body that you feel comfortable with. You don't want to have a disaster, right? You look in the mirror and think, oh, what have I done, right? So nobody wants that. But I think the extremes of our focus on vanity diminish once we settle into who we are. So do we want a body that will still play? You know, can we go jet skiing or water skiing? Can we go hiking with friends? Can we maybe do an obstacle course race or I don't know, take a karate class, whatever. For grown-ups, I think performance is more social and enjoyment of life. Of course, it's also the way your body feels. Nobody wants a sore back and sore backs can be so easy to fix with a little bit of strength training and a little bit of stretching. So you can definitely change the way you feel through exercise. And then, yeah, the way you look is up to you. You know, when people come to me and they say, I want to look a certain way and I say, okay, well, I can help you achieve that. It's not my interest. I don't really care what people look like that I'm supporting. That's, that's their business. I just want them to be healthy, fit. I want them to live a long time, be disease free. And so you can be, if you're vain, fine, go ahead and push your body to its limits. You know, if you want to look like an athlete, you have to behave like an athlete. You're going to have to be very, very diligent and disciplined with your eating habits. And then you're going to have to be very disciplined and diligent with your workout habits. And, and none of that is wrong. You're more than welcome to subject yourself to that stuff. But I don't think that's really the focus of most grownups in the world. So when it comes to solving the problems of laziness and the problems of discipline, because they're very easy words to say, and as a parent of three children, it's very hard to advise them or show them a way, right? And I think now, especially, and I don't know what you've observed is, is the amount of digital time that they spend and, and their ability and motivation to get out and move. Whereas when I was a kid, there was nothing else to do but be outdoors and run around and burn yourself out that way. When you're teaching kids or you're having a conversation with a parent, like what are some of the things we can do as parents to get our teenage kids moving? Because I think of the mobility of my 16-year-old son, and I, I would say he's probably got the mobility of a 30-year-old already, just because, again, I don't think he's lifted his hands above his head unless he's shooting a basket, you know? Okay. Well, that's good. Shooting baskets is great. 
you know, so it's ideal and we can't undo spilt milk. So if you're a parent and you hear what I say right now and you go, oh, I kind of blew it. All right. Well, there's still hope for you. But ideally, we respect our children's bodies from the start. We don't pour fast food into them and we don't give them all the cookies and all the cake and all the sugary beverages just because they're kids, they're skinny. It doesn't matter. No, it matters, especially with a growing body. So I know that nutrition and food quality is always important, especially to your this human you made, right? You made this little person and he's got this body or her body that's going to grow into something fabulous or not. And so you're responsible for their their uh, nutrition. And I hope you choose wisely. But let's say your kids are 13 and they're drinking too much soda all the time and they they just aren't eating quality foods. It's okay for you to have a sit down and say, I'm so sorry I've made this mistake. I've made this mistake for our family. But when you know better, you do better. And so I'm not pulling the rug out from underneath you. I'm not going to go hardcore cold turkey on everything right now, but I love you so much. I feel obligated to start doing better again. When you know better, you do better. So we're going to have a little more fruit on the counter. We're going to have a little less cookies in the closet. We're going to bring it down to two sodas a day. Eventually we're going to move towards one soda. So it's just about weaning people into better habits. If you've blown it, that's okay. You can still make progress. And then exercise should be a family tradition. Do you have a gym membership? Maybe your teenager can also come to the gym and start exercising with you. Can you go on family walks? Can you go kick the ball around? You know, my kids, their requirement is they had to be involved in a club and they had to be involved in a sport every year of school. Those were the rules and they knew it. They got to choose. It didn't matter what sport they were doing, but they had to be involved in a sport. And then once it came time that they were a little older, 14, 15, I started taking them to the gym with me and teaching them the tips and tricks of how that works. So it's just always an opportunity to make progress if you want it. And what was it like when you were growing up? Is that the environment you grew up in? I mean, when you're connecting with sport at 15, I feel like that's not by accident that there's a, or not connected with sport, but if you're so connected to fitness and you're already teaching, there must've been another influence to get you to that point. Or were you just a random kid that just ran around like a lunatic everywhere, just wanting to play ball all the time? So me and my siblings, we were all very athletic. We were outside. My mom calls me her dirty Irish kid. I was always out in dirt and I came home dirty. And I feel very proud about that. I'm very, very proud of my obsession with the dirt, which still carries on. But yeah, we were always out playing, but we were always in sports. And I think we did a little bit of everything. I personally played soccer for a decade. I did cheerleading. I did speed roller skating. I played t-ball. My older siblings, they were so good at sports. They were elite athletes. I was mediocre. I would show up to every practice and sometimes I would ride the bench the whole game. And it wasn't until I think it was about 21 when I started competitively kickboxing, full contact kickboxing. And the thing I loved most about that sport was that if I practice and I signed up, I would play the whole game. So I had a lot of rejections as a kid in sports. I I made enough teams, but there were so many teams that I was cut from or just I couldn't play. And so full contact kickboxing became this oasis for me. It was so fun and it made me so happy. And I always, once that bell rang, ding, ding, I was in it until the end and it was so fulfilling. But you must have got hit in the face a few times. I mean, what is that like? It's not a traditional pathway for, I don't like to be gender biased, but equally, I also like to be honest about these things. It's certainly not, even for a a man getting hit in the face and having been hit in the face a couple of times, it's not pleasant. Hi, it's Boo here. If you're enjoying these episodes of The Few, please show your support by leaving a review. It costs you nothing and the more reviews we have, the better guests we can reach out and bring onto the show to help you 
close the gap between what you want and where you are today even faster and help you on your journey to become one of the few too. How do you deal with that? That's quite a, a unique pathway to take. And maybe just extend that a little bit in terms of for you, how important is the pain and the grind in terms of adding to your self-worth and confidence and your ability to overcome adversity? So it's, it's a big opener, I know, but you kind of get where I'm going there. <laughs> I do. I do. So first of all, I did not and do not like being struck in the face, which is why I worked my tail off. <laughs> Nobody trained harder than I did or as frequently. And so thankfully, I was able to preserve my face. I think I walked away with about 30 broken bones from my clavicle down to my toes. And uh, every last one of those broken bones was worth it. The sport was it gave more than it took. And what I can tell you is that I progressed as a human so much during my years of fighting, I became a bit fearless. I used to be a business person who was a little bit just shy to ask for opportunities or to ask for money. And then I had that epiphany one day. I walked out of an, a particularly brutal training session. It was me versus about four different sparring partners while I was training for an upcoming fight. And they used to do a lot of articles on me. I was, I guess, a big deal. They had these photo spreads and it was training articles with fits, but other writers were writing those articles and they always blew it. So my first name is F-I-T-Z, not very complicated, yet every single time they would throw an R, they'd make it Fritz or they'd butcher my <laughs> last name or worse, they would make up quotes. And it's one thing if you misquote an athlete, I actually had my master's, I was fitness expert and I was giving training guidance and they would make up quotes, make me look like a dummy, make it look like I was giving bad advice. So I really wanted to ask if I could write the articles, but I was too chicken. And then eventually I get out of that brutal training session and I went straight to a bookstore to buy a magazine, which I was featured in. I was super excited to see it. I open up and again, it's crap. They just wrote horrible information in there. And I was so frustrated and I thought, Oh, I wish I could write that article. And then the light bulb went off and I thought, okay, dummy, you stand in a ring surrounded by thousands of people with someone who wants to knock you clear unconscious and you're afraid to make a phone call. What is wrong with you? If there's no bleeding, bruising or broken bones, you should be going for it. And it was just that girl inside here. She told me off. And so <laughs> I went back to the office and I picked up the phone and I was only about 22 at the time. But I called the editor of one of those fight magazines and I said, hey, this is Fitz. Oh, hey, Fitz, how you doing? I said, great. Hey, listen, I would really like to write an article for you. And he said, oh, that would be awesome. How much money do you need? And so not only was he going to say yes to letting me write the article, he was going to give me money. And I just thought, what have I been doing? I've been going on for, I don't know, years being a coward and missing out on so many opportunities. So that's just one of the fantastic life and business lessons learned while fighting. It was so good for me. I'm so grateful. I made that weird decision. <laughs> yeah. Best advice I ever had is when you're worried about chasing someone up for a proposal or making a cold call, is like, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to say, no, nothing changes. Like it's all built up in your mind. So what motivated you, I guess, to build out your own brand? You were already you know, quite prolific in the media, high profile. What was it that made you decide, you know, I'm going to just earn a living based on me. I'm going to back myself and do it. What was the moment in time where, and, and sorry, be a mom and all the other stuff that comes with running a life and takes your attention away from running a business. What was the, the moment you decided to do that? 
Well, a couple of things, but I wasn't willing to go along with the status quo in the fitness industry. I wasn't willing to sell the powders and the pills. I wasn't willing to sell out. And basically everybody else was selling out. And when I looked to places where I might apply, I just didn't find anything that was worth applying for. I'm a team player, but when it comes to fitness, it means too much to me to put it in somebody else's hands. Your health, your spinal column, your heart and lungs, they mean too much for me to sacrifice honesty or quality. So fitness was the only way to go. I incorporated, I think I was 20 or 21. I got that trademark pretty soon after, and wow. I'm so grateful I did. It's really, it's been great longevity. I mean, if you look at the average business lasting 15 years, you've done exceptionally well. Do you ever have bad days? Yeah, sure. Sure. I've got a cranky teenage son right now who gives me <laughs> bad days. <laughs> I mean, I don't let them get too bad because I'm very good at managing stress. I go outside, I go with my dogs. So what do you do? So what uh, happens when you, again, nothing's as bad as getting punched in the face, I guess. So in terms of having those bad days or just waking up, do you have moments when you wake up and just feel a bit off and a bit down? Or is there something that happens? Because clearly one of the challenges for performance as a human is your acceptance of average, right? And that capitulation and just living a life where it's not good, it's not bad. It's just a bit of a nothing. But when you're an entrepreneur or you're the sole, you're solely accountable for your success, you tend to have higher highs and lower lows, right? So what is it that you do, any rituals or a story you tell yourself, or have you just got yourself so conditioned now where it's just like bust through that wall, keep going? So it's interesting. My highs are extremely high. I mean, my highs are on a stage surrounded by 30,000 athletes at the start line of the Los Angeles Marathon or on stages in front of hundreds of executives speaking to crowds of people that are laughing and nodding and it's mega high, right? It's a mega high to do what I do. So any sort of progress keeps me going. If I have maybe a couple of days in the row where, I don't know, maybe a book hasn't sold or I haven't had a business meeting, I do start to fall a little flat. I've got some really good responses to those things and they start with exercise and I don't know, maybe I'm a nerd for saying it, but it's the truth. If I exercise, I walk into the gym or I walk onto the trail and then I, I return much lighter. Everything feels a little better. I also lean on perspective, which is the thing that got me through cancer. It was, you know, cancer was terrifying. And I certainly thought at first I'm dying. I thought I'm the perfect beacon of health and happiness. I'm going to make the perfect beacon of tragedy or perfect tale of tragedy. So that was really difficult. Once my doctor convinced me that they had a cure for me, I had to lean on the same perspective. Was it something that was immediate or was there something kind of build up yeah. to a diagnosis? What was your journey there? Oh, with cancer? Yeah. Speaking of having a bad day. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very bad day. I was fully athletic, living my best life. I had had a mammogram, a clean, crystal clear mammogram at, in late December of 2018. Less than seven weeks later, I'm at a hotel bathroom on a race weekend where I was actually running. And I got out of the shower. I did this. I run, rubbed my under boob and I found a lump and it was sizey. And I just thought, there it is. There's cancer. So I uh, did not pause. I did not call a friend or my mom and cry. I just picked up my phone naked and I said, hey, doc, I found a lump. And they said, can you come in today? And I said, no, I'm running a race. <laughs> they said, okay, come in Monday. So I came in Monday, which led to the new mammogram and the ultrasound and the punch biopsy. And within a week, I had news that they said, Fitz, I'm so sorry, but you have very aggressive cancer and it's running through you like wildfire and uh, we need to treat you quickly and aggressively. And I started chemotherapy about 10 days later, I think. It was a nightmare. Wow. It was very scary. 
That's terrifying how quickly things changed from being clear to having a diagnosis. How important was your health and fitness once you started the treatment? I mean, do you have an opinion of how that may have gone if you were a little more sedentary in your life compared to being active? Boo, I am not sure I'd be here. I'm not sure I'd be here if I wasn't so committed to health and fitness. So it's interesting. Once I was diagnosed, before I started treatment, I was doubling down on workouts because I needed the place to vent stress. And then once I started chemo, and everyone's path is differently. So again, everyone has their different responses. I had 21 rounds of chemo over 15 months, which is a very long time to have chemotherapy. The first six rounds took about five weeks, and we dubbed them the mean chemo, this nasty concoction of four different drugs. And I was violently ill. I became that exploding cancer patient. I was so sick every single day for five months. And then it was followed by 10 months of a lesser yet still mean chemo, which we nicknamed Godzilla. So it was mean chemo followed by Godzilla. But there was times when I was just full-blown sick and in bed and I couldn't get up and do stuff, but I always stretched. I knew that I didn't want to get stiff. Lying in bed too long could make you stiffer and weaker and help make you lose your balance, make your muscles atrophy. And so sometimes I fully rested and still stretched in bed or stretched in the shower. And then when I could get up and do stuff, I would. Some days it was a walk. You know, it was walk in the park when the sun set so it wasn't too hot. And some days it was swimming in the pool. I mean, I just did, I did what I could when I could. And it's interesting, when I got to that sixth round of mean chemo, I showed up to my oncologist office and I was the catastrophe. I was bald and I was gray and and my fingernails were ripping off and my eyes had changed colors and all these, everything was wrong with me. And I go into Dr. Gordon's office and usually what they do is they give you a once over, do a blood test. And if you're approved, then you can go get your chemo. So Dr. Gordon says, Fitz, you're doing so great. I looked at him, I said, no. I'm not doing great. He said, no, I'm so proud of you. You're doing so great. And he said, Dr. Gordon, why are you saying this? Every iota of my body has been obliterated in some way. Why are you saying I'm doing great? He said, Fitz, I'm not suggesting you're not suffering and you haven't suffered. You have suffered immensely. I get it. He said, however, if you were not so committed to health and fitness coming into this ordeal, you would not have been able to board 15 planes to go announce races and do your keynotes. He said, you would not have been able to travel around the country having more adventure than most healthy people do in a decade. You likely would have been hospitalized for a month. You likely would have had infections because of the tubes going in and out of you. So I'm not saying you haven't suffered, but because of your commitment to exercise and nutrition, you have done extraordinary things that I've not seen patients do before. And so that's when it really clicked. I mean, I knew I was doing good for myself every time I made an effort. But at that point, I thought, oh, it's about not being way worse. You know, my exercise and nutrition prevented me from even worse, which was a very big deal. And then, you know, I did hit rock bottom eventually because my treatment was so lengthy and it was so mean. What does that feel like? I guess for people who have been there, I mean, gosh, you cancer and you also had COVID, which is a big impact to influencers in terms of their ability to generate revenue as well, right? So what did rock bottom feel like? And I don't know what it's like for you, but sometimes I have this trigger in my brain and I feel like the weight from the back of my brain moves to the front and it goes, click, go forwards. That's enough wallowing. Yeah, I get you can't control any of this. What's one thing you can control? Click, go do that and then use the momentum. What did you do? What did it feel like being there? And then how did you get out of it? 
so I can tell you that every single day I had to make decisions to keep going, to not have a pity party. You know, it was my perspective was, hey, I'm not a kid with cancer. It's not my kid with cancer. I'm going to put on my big girl panties and soldiers, soldier on. I also pursuing my passions, doing stuff with my kids and getting on those airplanes to go do the keynotes and race announcing was worth billions of dollars to me. It was worth everything because once I stepped on those stages, everything that was wrong with me disappeared. I went from a this is the description of what was wrong with me is um, imagine having food poisoning or a tequila hangover every day, addicts max for five months. And then that leads to dehydration, which leads to headaches, which leads to imbalance and dizziness, which leads to um, just so much suffering. I, I really, you know, I don't want, you can't pity me now. You know, the good, good thing is you can't pity me in reverse. So if I'm telling you the truth, it's just the way it was. Uh, the chemo kills all of your, at least from my chemo, killed all of my quickly replicating cells. So everything from my mouth on out had been through the cheese grater. Food was impossible. Nothing tasted okay. It tasted like uh, dirt covered everything. My fingernails ripped off. My toenails ripped off. Um, it, my eyes, my vision suffered. My eyes went from gray to navy blue one day out of the blue just weird as it can be so that's what it felt like and then you know rock bottom for me looked about the place where my mother says you look like you're in the holocaust you know she was trying to get me to eat she goes you look like you're in the holocaust i said oh, thanks mom. <laughs> thanks mom thanks just <laughs> when i was feeling bright <laughs> yeah that was rough i had a morning where i would sleep on the floor a lot i don't know why we do that when we're sick i think it's to stop the earth from spinning but i had tried to get, I was at a friend's house and uh, I was trying to get like crackers in their cabinet just to try to calm my stomach. And there was no crackers. And I ended up getting this little mini chocolate donut and took it back to the floor in the bedroom. And I went to sleep and I woke up and I might've taken one bite of that donut, but all of it had smeared all over my little face. So I go in the bathroom in the morning, me and my little skeleton body. And I look in the mirror and the chocolate. And I just thought, <laughs> you become what what has gone on so that was rock bottom for me i also had tried to exercise post surgery uh, lift weights i went to the gym for the first time and i thought i'm going to lift weights and so i put the pin but what does that feel like as well one of the things i'm really fascinated with people closing the gap between what they want or know is good and where they are now and that's easier said than done so the first thing is I and mean, i certainly know if i've had a cold or I felt off and I had a good run to the gym and then I'm sick for a week. You go back and it's like, oh, all those gains have gone. I've got to kind of feel like I've got to start again. And I think it's really important to share. It's not the pity party, but for people that are aspirational and get on with their lives and push forward, I think some people can mistake that you never have to worry about anything and you're so lucky and you never feel the things that we feel. You don't have the pain. But I think it's important to say, well, yeah, things do suck sometimes and they suck real bad. So how do you, I guess, reverse that? And having a cold and going to the gym is really a poor analogy for having cancer and then going to the gym. But when you went back, because it's probably a good story for people that aren't fit, right? To say, hey, even from having a tequila hangover for five months every single day, you can still go and start, you can still build up and get to your body healthy again. How do you do it? Yeah. So there I was at the gym, my first day back and I put the pin in where it was supposed to be. And I try to push nothing <laughs> doesn't even move an inch. And so I have to lower the pin. I lower the pin. I keep lowering it until what I found is that I can only lift 20% 
of what I had previously lifted. I had lost a lot between the chemo, the radiation, the surgery, my poor little body had had it. So that was a special moment for me. And uh, number one- Did you feel down? Did that make you feel a bit like what you'd lost or- So hang in there. So A, I was super proud to be in the gym. I was so excited to be there. Two things I thought, well, this is where I understand how some people feel really uncomfortable in the gym. But, but then I thought, well, nobody knows what I used to lift. So nobody cares what I'm lifting now. I don't have to worry about other people's opinions of my workout. It's my workout. They were probably staring at my bald head more than my lifting <laughs> capability, right? But at that point, I thought, well, I know exactly how I'm going to build my body back. I had no doubt. Now, lucky for me, I was a fitness expert with cancer. Woohoo! So I had this brilliant knowledge base that allowed me to strategically design the most incredible comeback story physically. And I did it gently and with compassion. And I never was too aggressive and I never took a step back. But at that very same moment, sitting on that same machine, I thought, what about my peers? Like, what about all these other millions of cancer patients and survivors that have been absolutely ravaged by their treatment or their disease? And they have no idea how to rebuild their body. They have no idea how to get it back. And that's where my books were born. That's where I decided I have to do something I have to create the blueprint to help these people because there's nothing else out there like it. I couldn't undo cancer. I don't believe cancer happened to me for a reason. I just think that's preposterous. But can I make lemonade out of this very big lemons? Sure, I could. So it was sad to see what had gone on to myself, but I had watched myself deteriorate day after day for many, many months. But it was nice when I got to that point when I saw like there was a number to my, the level of my weakness. It was nice that once I got there, I thought, all right, it's on. We're getting it back and we're going hardcore. And I did. And I ran the Boston Marathon a little over a year after finishing all of my treatments. So yeah. That's amazing. Thank you. There's a success story for anybody who wants it. And so I try not to put my hardships on other people. You know, some people are like on social media, pray for me. I've sprained my ankle. And I think, oh, really? You're eating up all the prayers on your sprained ankle, are you? Wow. But yeah, it's time to take care of yourself. And I love mostly everybody and I want the best for everybody. And because I know what lack of health looks like and what lack of health feels like, I'm willing to poke people in the chest and tell them the truth, even if it's the brutal honesty about their laziness and their lack of discipline and the consequences they've brought upon themselves, but only in an effort to lift them up and drag them out of their slumber and get them to get to work. And usually they do. How do you motivate daily to achieve a goal in a year's time? And again, I feel that people get very excited about the idea of running a marathon and two, three weeks in, it's like, well, oh, they've hurt their ankle or they've, taught, they've strained a calf muscle. Or How do you manage day-to-day -day motivation with realizing big goals? So two things, you got to want it. You got to want it personally. Nobody can set a goal for you and try to get you to go achieve it. It just doesn't work that way. If your spouse is bothering you, I know it's not going to work. It has to be your intrinsic motivation to accomplish something, whether it's with fitness or business or personal relationships, you have to want it. And then you can use some savvy by creating an intelligent program with small goals, small goals attached and know that every success story has its hiccups, it has its valleys and things rarely go exactly the way they're supposed to do. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. So are you resilient? Hopefully you've had a whole bunch of failures and rejections in your life as I have that sturdied you up and made you the gritty person who's willing to overcome the obstacle obstacles to get to your point B. I'm 
busy. I'm in my late forties. I've got a lot to do. I'm a dad. I've got kids. I don't have time to exercise fits. What do you say to people that have that approach to life? I love it when people say stuff like that to me because those excuses are actually incentives. So the second you tell me I have children, what you've told me is you have the greatest motivation on earth to be healthy and live a long time and have quality of life so you can spend more time with those kids and watch them grow up and be a fantastic grandparent and maybe even a great grandparent. So when you use your kids as an excuse for your lack of health, you know, for most people, it's really, it's the worst excuse. You're saying, I made these humans and I'm willing to leave them on their own. I'm willing to abandon ship because I'm reckless with my eating and drinking and I refuse to exercise so long, suckers. <laughs> I'm out of here. So most people's excuses really are incentives. They're just not looking at it. If you say, well, I'm busy at work. Okay. You want to know a really great way to achieve success professionally is to take good care of yourself. Because when your boss looks across the room and he sees your slouchy shoulders and your slovenly body and your lazy attitude, he may think, no, thanks. But when he sees Bob, the go-getter come in with great posture and strong shoulders, and he's got all the energy in the world because he does Ironman triathlon, the boss says, yeah, I want to hire that guy. I want to give him promotion because he's going to turn my company into something great. He's going to bring in a very profitable year and build this workforce up. So your fitness matters when you use your career or your kids or your spouse as an excuse. If you spin it properly, they really are incentives to do better. Fitz, I don't know whether you'd have an answer to this question because you probably said it to yourself already when you were a kid, but is there anything that you would go back and tell your 14 year old self that would accelerate or help your journey to who you are today? Um, to accelerate. Yeah. I mean, definitely don't be afraid to ask. That was probably my number one business obstacle and getting past it has really helped. I also had a lot of rejections as a kid, you know, all those sports teams that I tried out for that I didn't make or clubs I tried to get in and they rejected me from, they hurt really bad. Those rejections were difficult, but thankfully I just kept applying and trying out. I never, <laughs> never ceased to put an effort in, but I wish I would have been able to pat myself on the shoulder and say, it's all going to work out. It's all going to work out. You're not going to need to be accepted into other people's clubs. You can make your own darn club and it's going to be great and it's going to be appreciated and you're going to make a great living off of it. So um, yeah, I probably would have just tried to give myself a little more peace about all those rejections early on. It's amazing how often the ask that question on this show, people say, hey, everything's going to be okay in the end. But what it highlights is the amount of pain and rejection and triumph that the few who do live life on their own terms, that's part of the journey. That dealing with that pain of rejection, dealing with the pain of all the failures that ultimately get you to that outcome, which is amazing. So Fitz, thank you so much for being very generous with your time today. I can just feel the energy and the generosity coming off you, which is absolutely amazing. If you happen to be someone who has had a major health battle and is looking to get back on track, you want to run a marathon, you need Fitz to call your race, get on stage, you'll find her at uh, fitzness.com. That's not with an R. It's uh, F-I-T-Z-N-E-S. Fitz, thank you so much. I just really appreciate you taking the time today to share your life story. It's been amazing. Well, it's been a pleasure, Boo. And I'm so excited that you are a fellow Floridian. Welcome to the Sunshine State. I'm happy to have you here. Yeah, I'll look you up. We'll go and watch the sun rise somewhere. Sure. <laughs> yes. Thanks, Fitz. Well, that wraps another episode of The Few. And I'd like to thank our partners, without whom this episode wouldn't be possible. 
Firstly Owned Management, an organization that brings world-class speakers into your event or organization to make a profound impact on your people to deliver the results that you want. And Afterburner, real-life fighter pilots, a team of men and women who for the past 25 years have helped organizations surpass their expectations, learning the tips and tricks fighter pilots use to win 98% of the time. If you enjoyed the show, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast, The Few with Boo, or our YouTube channel. It's been an absolute pleasure sharing the stories of these remarkable people with you. I hope that helps you keep the dream alive, but more importantly, equips you with a few ideas of how to turn those dreams into reality to help you become one of the few too.